Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that's brought to you from a dark studio with a firmly closed door and almost no natural light. So it may not be entirely meeting the approval of the people I have in it with me today, all of whom are here to talk about the relationship between your working environment and your mental health. Even just putting a few houseplants in an office have been shown to boost productivity by up to 15%. And fluctuations in the levels of CO2 in the office can make people up to 60% slower. So we know that the space we're in can have a huge impact on, on happiness and productivity. And we'll also be looking at what landlords are and should be doing about it. You're trying to create a shell or the bones of a building from which then designers and clever people can come in and then really take to the next level so it's right for that customer, the end user. But the landlords have to provide that framework to provide a building that, that can do that. I'm Guy Ruddle, and those three people that I mentioned earlier are John Gardner, who's National Head of Office Agency at Savills. Morning, John. Good morning, Guy. Katrina Kostic-Sayman, who is Head of Workplace Strategy and Design at KKS Savills. Katrina's been here before. Welcome back. Thank you. Last year when we were <laughs> Good to have you. Last year, talking about what workers want, which is a very popular podcast with our listeners. And Ben Channon is an architect at Asail Architecture. He's a mental well-being ambassador at that practice. He's a TED talker and an author and now a Real Estate Insights podcaster. So that's properly filled out your CV, Ben. Thanks for the introduction, Guy. And your book is uh, Happy by Design, A Guide to Architecture and Mental Well-Being. Yes, that's right. When did you write that? Uh, so I wrote that over the last couple of years. It came out uh, last October through Reba Publishing. Excellent. Available in all good bookshops Absolutely, or online and yes. all that sort of stuff. So we're here then to talk about mental well-being mainly and office workspaces and the like. Ben, I think it's sort of probably common sense just to say, you know, a nice office environment is better for your mental well-being. But is there sort of empirical evidence that that is the case? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's been data coming out of neuroscience and environmental psychology for years now showing that our environment and the space around us has a big impact on on how we feel every day and on, even on our mental health. Um, we know, you know, that's really important in the workplace. It can have a huge impact on things like productivity, staff happiness, and obviously staff retention. Um, even things like you know, putting even just putting a few house plants in an office um, have been shown to boost productivity by up to fifteen percent. Uh, really? Yeah, and fluctuations in the levels of CO two in the office um, can have you know make people up to sixty percent slower. So we know that the space we're in can have a huge impact on on happiness and productivity. And so the, the, we've already sort of started to touch on things like a yucca plant or whatever. I don't know why I said yucca, but you know what I mean—a yeah, yeah. plant or CO two, whatever. But Katrina, you know, this is your area. You do this all the time. Are, are there sort of guiding principles, overarching principles of of what makes a good office space in terms of mental health? Overarching, I think it's about communicating with the employees, the listeners, and really uh, taking on board what they're looking for. Um, as Ben mentioned, plants, we do a lot of uh, research on art and well-being in the space and how the choice. So what I'd like to do is talk about uh, community choice and control, ultimately giving it back to the user, some level of control of their environment. Okay. So I was going to ask you, perhaps shouldn't, because it's a, uh, it's unfair because we're in a specific space. But the space we're in now uh, is a studio, a recording studio. It's got blank walls. Uh, it's got non-natural light and all that sort of stuff. Is this a good mental health environment? 
the positives are that it's got color. There's green walls and there's purple uh, acoustic baffles. Where it's failing is the light is very strong and bright for those who are more introverted. Um, and there's also uh, the quirks such as me. I suffer from OCD and the image on the wall is hanging crooked and it's driving me crazy. Is that right? And I will probably get up and fix it if I can afterwards. You can do it now if you like. Well, I thought to John, <laughs> if you want to, do, Katrina. That's up to you. Uh, you know, she is as well. John, um, we're talking about this from, from workers' point of view uh, to, to, to a large extent, but is this an area where landlords, who you're dealing with, obviously, and companies who are employing people and therefore tenants, are they thinking about this a lot? Have they done a lot of work on it? Uh, uh, or is it just sort of, is it quite nascent? No, I mean, it, it is the the buzzword if you like at the moment i think that it is you know where you know and sustainability was perhaps the, the the key thing a few years ago and still is i think wellness and wellness in the workplace in design terms is 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 everything at the moment and um from a landlord perspective you know that comes into design so things basic things like you know the the volume of space the amount of light that comes to that space naturally you're trying to create a a shell or the bones of a building from which then Katrina and, and, and designers and clever people can come in and then really take to the next level so it's right for that customer, the end user. But the landlords have to provide that framework to provide a building that, that can do that. And is it more expensive to do that? Um, not necessarily, no. It's just about um, having good design team and spending a long time getting it right. Um, no, it yeah. doesn't, doesn't have to be more expensive. So I think I'm going to get into uh, the difficulties here because you know, I, I, I want to talk about specific things uh, that are good, um, uh, maybe a few things that are bad. By the way, the the thing on the wall is now being straightened by <laughs> Katrina, and the and the uh, our brilliant sound engineer Dom has told me in my headphones that it's never been that straight before. So there you go; it's an absolute time. Everyone is happy. Um, sorry, I'm interrupting myself. So back to what's good and, and what's bad, Ben. Do you think that there are you know as an architect? Uh, do you think there are things that you, you, you sort of absolutely have to do and that will always work? It's an interesting question. Obviously, everybody's different, but fundamentally, you know, we're, we're all human beings. We've all evolved in the same way over millions of years to be the, the strange creatures that we are now. And uh, as Katrina was saying, we, we do all need similar things. We all need light and air and water. But beyond those simple physical things, there's also a lot of psychological things that, that we as humans need. Uh, we need control. We need we need safety. Um, we need a sense of community, and and all of those things are, are vital to a successful workplace. We can create a lot of those through the architecture, but I believe also that culture plays a massive role in that as well. But how do you create those through the architecture? Then how do you create control? I mean, Katrina was saying that different people want different things, uh, and you're saying people need to have control. Well, how do you then, either of you? How do you create an environment where I want to open space because I want to be able to see people and talk to people. And, and my my alter ego wants to be by myself or by himself because he's shy and doesn't want to be around other people. How, how do you manage all of that in one place? Well, it's really about giving people a choice of places, a choice of where they work. And a lot of people may function well in open plan offices, but 50% of workers now say that actually they find hot desking and open plan working quite distracting, quite hard to work in. So it's important as well that we give the introverted people or people who want to go and do some quiet focused work a space where they can go and do that as well without interruption. Um, we know that privacy actually is, is massively... Uh, has has huge impact on people's productivity, which employers might not actually expect that, you know, 
there's this idea that you want to be able to see everyone's screens to make sure they're working hard. But actually, the evidence shows that that's, counter, that's counterproductive and people are actually uh, less productive when, when their screens are on display. So, Katrina, how do you deal with that in, in, in designing a, a workspace? I think if you start with the sort of from the outside uh, in and the, the larger question about communities and destinations and places, it's creating an ecosystem that has a multi-use mixed community aspect and feel to it, which are destination places. So it's not just about putting a coffee shop or having a brand. It's sort of like the old version of putting a you know piece of art in a pot of plant in your plan is actually thinking about those spaces, both small scale, large scale. We know that large scale spaces are creativity led and that small scale spaces are for focused work. So it's not just the color or the acoustics or the light, it's the scale and the feeling of it. And I think what Ben was talking about is that as you bring it down to the interior, um, I think that the word hot desking should be banned. I don't think that that is an appropriate topic or, or, or um, label that we should be using. I I think it's, uh, again, going back to choice and giving some people do like to be in the open, some do like to be closed. And by the way, we're all human and we're not one thing all day or every day of the week. So when you say the word hot desking should be banned, do you mean the the concept of, of shared desk space should be banned or the, or, or the calling it hot desking should be? Uh, the, shared, the, the concept of shared desking is still there and good for some people. The word hot desking is something that we never use. We use a term more like agile working or choice of where to work. Um, I think it's not appropriate if a desk is unused in today's real estate cost and economics that it should sit empty because if you took that desk away, you could then have a sofa or you could have a plant. So it's not about the desk itself, ultimately, which is a piece of chipboard on four legs. It's about what is the user and the occupier and the choice and the task. So the term hot desking has such a negative connotation that I would never use it in uh, research or in discussion. I would use more terms like agile and choice. I'm never ever <laughs> saying that word again. I feel, I feel as if I feel as if the headmistress has told me off. <laughs> so, can, can I talk a, briefly about colour? Yes, I'm, I'm sort of mildly obsessed with colour and it was interesting yes. that you said, yeah, we were talking about this studio mm-hmm. space when, but before we got to the thing on the wall, you said that, you know, the green is a good colour or, or whatever. Mm. Is colour really that important? Oh, absolutely. The psychology of colour is hugely fascinating. I think as an architect myself, uh, I'm trained and love pure white spaces that are symmetrical, fixed, controlled. That's how I've been trained and beautiful. Uh, however, I'm now of the belief that we should have layered um, environments with color, with texture, with sound, with noise, with smell, and that ultimately are flexible. Um, and it won't be perfect and it won't be beautiful. And I will probably hate coming in day two, three or four, <laughs> but that's okay. Like the painting on the wall, I'll come back and fix it. John, we're having a conversation which is sort of quite sort of intricate and detailed here. When you're out and about talking to your clients on both sides, you mm. know, the, the landlords and the occupiers, are they really thinking about this sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, the and that's where I think that the narrative has really changed um, in that the the level of interest that, say, an HR director of a, of a big corporate um, will be involved at the outset of this pro- this, pro- this project, which when years gone by, it would have been the senior management and maybe a real estate guy. HR is leading that um, process, and they are really getting into, from the very first time they go and look at a building, they're having a view about 
the look, the feel of this building. And, and to the point about, um, you know, at the point that they're looking around a building, clearly they, they need to go and fit it out for their own benefit. But it has to have a richness to it and a sort of rich, diverse of material and, 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 and so forth, which is the thing that really resonates with them because they go from this kind of base level, we can then create what we really want to bespoke it. So absolutely, this is... Um, uh, this is where actually at the moment the biggest I'd say rate of change in the development of new uh, new office spaces is, is is of how much further the developer and the architects are going um, from the base build schemes where before it was a vanilla shell um, and you know it was used I mean the, the term was an institutional cate spec I mean you can't make anything sound more dull than that that's sexy yeah an um, and, and we're moving away from, the, from from that and at a rate of knots and, and mirroring more residential actually in, in many respects. Yeah, I think what's interesting uh, now, guys, as as well, we are we're seeing it, uh, the shift in mentality, and partly I think it's to do with millennials uh, and Gen Zs coming through. And in interviews, they'll ask questions like, "What's the work life balance like?" or "What's the company culture like?" Which you know, people 10, 15 years ago maybe wouldn't have been asking those questions. And they really do care very strongly about how an employer or an office space is going to take care of their health and well being. And I think a lot of this as well is born out of uh, people like uh, Sean Aker, who's an amazing uh, Harvard professor. He wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage, in which he argues we've we've had workplace culture the wrong way around, really. We felt historically that we need to work hard to be successful, to be happy. And what he actually argues is that if, if we're happy in the first place, if we can get our staff happy, they will be more productive, they will do better and be more successful. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the schemes I've been involved with since, since, since it began was a scheme called Chiswick Park in West London. And their mantra is the enjoywork.com. And, and the, the, the saying was, um, if you enjoy work, you do better work. If you do better work, you've got a better business. And that's exactly to that point. So you start with how you, how you make your, your people happy. So the cynic in me is just thinking, yeah, 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 this is all very well. But if we're talking about mental health and mental well-being, it, it's, a nice office environment is great. But if your bosses are, you know, then your mental health is going to suffer anyway. And I, I, So that leads me into a, a, a slightly different question, which is about culture, really. And I wonder how much, I mean, obviously your, your environment affects the culture of a place, but how much is it being driven? Do you think by environment affecting culture, or the culture demanding the environment? That's a very interesting question. I mean, as as you kind of alluded to, the two are intrinsically linked. Um, you, I, I believe that having having a bad environment will have a negative impact on the culture. But like you say, you can have the best environment in the world if the culture is not there, then it, it doesn't matter. Um, I think again, a lot of the ideas we talk about in the environment, giving people control, giving people pride in where they work. Uh, that that's not just achieved through the environment. That is achieved through the way a business is run, and that whether you have an open business, whether you have quite a hierarchical business, and so cultures need to change in the same way that environments need to change, really. And uh, obviously, the podcast is about well-being, particularly mental well-being of employees as well. And I think it's really important that we develop workplace cultures that do open up about mental health, and that it does become acceptable in workplaces that that people can voice their problems. That it's okay to say, "I'm not okay," actually. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's a, that's an absolutely crucial point. I'm conscious that, you know, we often talk about this sort of area when we're talking about quite big companies and quite big office spaces. And there are lots and lots and lots of smaller companies employing, I don't know, 10 people or whatever in, in, an, in, in an office, which isn't that easy to do. And they probably haven't got a huge amount of money. So what's your one cheap tip that a boss could do in his office to make his five or 10 employees work, you know, team mentally happier? We'll start with you, Ben. Okay, well, for me, 
It's a simple thing you can do. It doesn't cost any money. Allow employees to personalize their space. This is shown to increase productivity, reduce uh, staff turnover rates, can have a huge impact. And as I said, costs absolutely nothing. Absolutely brilliant. I love that. Katrina? Uh, we are a small organization, and so I can absolutely relate to, to small uh, organizations. But what we've allowed to do is um, I asked everybody what they would like to have ideally in the new space. And um, I wanted a swing, so I have a swing. Uh, another person wanted a day bed, they have a day bed. Uh, we have a dartboard, uh, we have a piece of grass, we have a basketball hoop, and uh, we have an office dog. And a new person working in your office as of this afternoon, that's me. Uh, John, what's your one top tip? Well, I, I think as a uh, as an initiative, I rec- that sort of water cooler moment, I think is just the the magic actually which ha- which really brings people to bit together in a company so it is if it is five people you probably legally got to have a water cooler but but having that sort of kitchen point at what about somewhere where people can gravitate to in a building i think that's the best way of bringing people together and talking now savile standout statistic you've been warned about this i think have you you've all have you all got a savile standout statistic for us Absolutely. Got a statistic. Okay, yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah, right. So uh, it's a little thing, just, you know, it doesn't have to be big, but, but just makes people go, oh, that's surprising, and, el- and, and enlightens people a little bit. We're, we're, we've gone that way around the, t- around the table, so we'll carry on again. Ben, what is your Savile standout statistic? So to me, it's that um, about £42 billion is lost by UK businesses every single year due to lost productivity from unhappiness and poor mental health. Uh, and to me, that's obviously pretty shocking. But given that staff account for a huge 55% of most business costs and staff are the most important asset, to me, it's only a small uh, extra spend on the kind of fabric and the built, envir- the built environment and design that can have a huge impact. Yeah. Um, a really good case study is Cundall's offices. They reckon they spent about £200 per head on members of staff and their staff retention now is about 26% better. So. Wow. Tiny cost, huge impact. Who are Cundles? What do they do? Uh, they are engineers and uh, they built a well-certified office a couple of years ago. Cool. Amazing. Katrina, what's your sta- standout statistic? Um, there was a recent um, analysis done of uh, 156 countries throughout the world uh, and their level of happiness. And the UK ranked 15. And I think what uh, what struck me about the analysis was it was about how communities interact. What I hadn't actually appreciated is the social media aspect of communities. And I think today we have to be thinking about um, the tech world of a community and what is allowable and what is not allowable as far as happiness. So I was, I was very intrigued by understanding that and hope that we can improve the UK's happiness um, as soon as Brexit gets finished. <laughs> no, we nearly got through this without talking about <laughs> nearly. John, what's your Savile standard? Yeah, and, and mine is a, a kind of extension of, piece of what, what Ben was saying, um, and frankly is relevant in the context of that, that B word just mentioned, which is a stat that was from research from Cisco and Oxford Economics, which suggested that if um, every underperforming uh, business in the UK actually uh, matched their industrial benchmark, then their additional additional contribution to UK GDP would be £140 billion higher. That's about 6% of um, UK GDP. So, wow. you know, get us happier, we'll be more productive, and get create better workplaces, and, it, you know, even with Brexit, our economy will fly. 
I'm happy because I've enjoyed the last 20 minutes or so. I thought that was fascinating. Thank you all very much for that. That was absolutely brilliant. That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. If that's got you wondering and you want to know more, you'll find plenty on the research section of the Savills website, uh, savills.co.uk slash research. And there's a new magazine, actually. It's a sort of physical thing, but also a digital thing. It's published by Savills called Core, which looks at office and workplace trends. Uh, It includes an interview with Ben. So there you are. You can reach that uh, at savills.co.uk slash core, C-O-R-E. And if you're not already a subscriber to Real Estate Insights and would like to become one, then please do so using your usual podcast provider. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening to us. See you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.